I mean, that's a it's a non-controversial kind of uh, statement, right? So there's a certain degree of inertia, right? People do not want to change the way they do things, yeah. and I think that where online education has come in is it pushed people to you know suddenly think that this may be possible. But I think it's a break from the tradition, and given the tradition is not doing so great in many parts of India, it's an opportunity which pushes people towards doing something different. Yes, but over time, these things that you talk about, there would be a, you know, as people realize that there is a market for this, and probably this would be have to be subsidized by the government, because you know uh, many people in in rural areas may not have the money to pay for it directly. But the idea is that because it's so fundamental and it will be it will be rolled out, it's almost like the vaccine, you know, it has to be like tested over time, you know, that what is to be said about two thousand eight crisis, right? What is it exactly that it's about? Greetings to our listeners. In these times, we just hope you are safe and productive. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Bigger Picture, a podcast series where we shed light on the economic aspects of life. I, Shubhra Anand, along with my co-host Deep Agarwal, welcome our speaker for today, Mr. Abhirup Mukhopadhyay, an eminent Indian economist. Now I'd request Deep to introduce our speaker for today to our listeners. Abhirup Mukhopadhyay is an Indian economist who completed his master's from Delhi School of Economics and received his doctorate from the Pennsylvania State University in 2004. He is currently a professor in the Economics and Planning Unit at the Indian Statistical Institute. He has previously been the Sir Ratan Tata Senior Fellow at the Institute of Economic Growth an academic visitor at the Indian Observatory London School of Economics and was awarded the Mahala Nobis medal in 2018 by the Indian Econometrics Society we'll start with the first question are online classes a boon or bane especially for those on the other side of the digital divide and given the technological infrastructure problems such as lack of internet across india where do you think india is headed regarding this okay so um let me say let's start off by saying that yes i mean uh, you know as in any technology uh, there are winners and losers uh, you know anyone who does not have access to the technology is obviously the loser so it goes beyond you know it's it's without any doubt that there are many people many children who are not able to tap into this particular uh, you know medium and therefore are losing out uh one way to think about it is to so i'll answer the question in two parts uh, one part is you know uh, online education during the time of the pandemic and i'll talk about online education in general okay so i think we should separate that out because you know pandemic in some sense uh, is is a is a crisis so like in economics we always say a second best we are basically looking at second best and third best solutions right and so the option is not really that this is the choice but in fact that you know instead of you know not educating anyone are we able to reach out to uh, to enough uh, in urban areas actually the digital divide is much less you know even if you take smaller towns of india you know it's about 60 70% of smaller town india actually has access to internet um, you know or some smartphone uh it's rural india actually that has actually seen uh, you know it has about 12 and a half 13% of the kids have access to smartphones and that's where 
they're probably losing out a lot. So yes, it, it, they are losing out, but I mean, there is no better idea right now in terms of uh, the pandemic. But what I want to also just add is that, you know, when systems work, and you may have noticed this a lot in, you know, many of your institutions that you've gone through, there's a certain degree of inertia, right? People do not want to change the way they do things. Yeah. And I think that where online education has come in is it's pushed people to, you know, suddenly think that this may be possible, right? And now it could be that, you know, the online education through the internet is all not always possible for everyone. But this push towards, you know, one source or two sources of information broadcasting to a bigger set, you know, maybe solutions to many problems that India has been facing. So, you know, I don't know if you know about the Asar surveys of India that show that learning in India and children is very poor. And one of the reasons said is that, you know, there's very poor quality of education all over, you know, not only rural India, but many parts of urban India too. What better solution for them than have more centralized learning in a way from good teachers, you know, from people who can teach in interesting ways. So, you know, this is not a, this is not a substitute for a well-functioning traditional school system, but one can think of this as a solution to a broken system where, you know, teachers don't come, teachers when they come, they're not interested in teaching, you know, this could in some sense replace in the future, that kind of stuff where probably the other teachers would be of the nature as tutors helping out children with, you know, with, uh, with various kinds of things, whereas the main uh, lessons would be taught by people in a more centralized way, uh, you know, in, in, as in the online education. Now, whether it will happen through internet or not, is not very clear. So one of the things that many states of India have realized is that if you take the nugget of the idea, which is that, you know, you will have someone basically broadcast to others, one way to do it is through television. And like some states like Kerala have in fact gone ahead and had, you know, people teaching through television, which is much more accessible to children. So, you know, is it bad? Well, it's definitely bad right now. Is it, is it, is it necessarily bad in the long run? May not be. It may actually give some new ideas to Indian education, which is not doing too well uh, for, for many, many years now. So the point that you mentioned about one source broadcasting to various mediums, Sites such as Coursera and EDH have already been doing it. Do you think this potential for India to take that idea, to take that structure and implement it in our education system? Sure, for sure. Yes. Uh, the only difference is that you would have to have a Coursera minus or an EDX minus because, you know, many of them are for, they are, right now the content is for fairly, you know, uh, you know, at a very high level of education, uh, you know, but, you know, there's nothing that yeah. stops from preparing good content, you know, for, for school education, uh, which, you know, you know, allows people to learn new concepts in a different way. So uh, it's a, you know, it is an opportunity. I mean, of course, uh, you know, like any opportunity, it can go any way. But I think it's a break from the tradition. And given the tradition is not doing so great in many parts of India, it's an opportunity which pushes people towards doing something different. Yes. But over time, these things that you talk about, there would be a, you know, as people realize that there is a market for this and probably this would be have to be subsidized by the government because, you know, uh, many people in, in rural areas may not have the money to pay for it directly. 
but you know, I mean, the government can pay for it, and it would be cheap for the government, right? Instead of having to hire so many teachers every year to teach so many children, if they could get you know one centralized good teaching kind of package, you know, it might even turn out to be cheaper for them. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. A few weeks back, I read an article on academics, which basically tells us why we need to bring economics in the field of academics as to why schools need to manage funds in a manner. that for any crisis like this they have some you know emergency fund so what are your views on this do you think that it can happen anytime soon in india where schools do don't have that tag of non profit organization and actually work as some corporation yes i mean you know you have to first realize that large portion of schools in india are public schools Okay, still private school accounts for a very small proportion of schooling in India. Now, uh, so let's se- separate those two things out, right? So, uh, you know, I think that for sure, public school uh, funds management could be done better. But I guess your question was more about the private sector, uh, for non because it's non for profit. Now, the problem with you yes. know the private sector is that you know in various states of India. there are various kinds of you know restrictions and regulations on what they can charge you know so schools find creative ways of raising money uh, but you know over last 30 years many state governments have imposed various regulations on fees on you know how much they could charge so it is hard to think that you know schools can you know i mean schools already optimize i mean you know it's you know they they have to figure out how to save money for 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 teachers for example uh, like think about the teaching that is happening now many schools have had to waive various kinds of fees right uh, transport fee and so on and so forth and yet they are still paying their teachers uh, you know salaries so of course they have saved up for such a rainy day but of course you know the extent to which they can do it is limited because you know uh private schooling is now uh, becoming a reality not just for you know for people who have money but you know because in some sense public schools are failing private schools are seen by the government as an alternative way of educating even children you know from rural areas from poorer backgrounds right and now that is a bit of a conflict because you know schools can uh, you know uh, a school is charging more than what it should to cover its expenses yeah. it might be hard for it to defend you know why it's charging more for a rainy day uh, it has to exactly specify uh, you know what are rainy days and you know why it needs to do this management and so on and so forth because there is also the the option of uh, you know it gives way to discretionary you know increases in 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 school fees right you know how do we yeah. check what is the adequacy of of this so i mean we are talking here about a very very you know thin margin you know if the school fees really go up too high then in some sense private education as a solution to many of india's education problems cannot go through i mean this is not a problem for delhi schools i agree completely agree that you know some of the delhi schools can probably do this but i think they already do it in in many ways but it's for these uh, you know for schools which are actually catering to you know la- the largest proportion of these schools that cater to uh, you know private schools are actually not the big schools in big cities they are in fact small schools that are run by what are kind of para teachers by you know 8th class 9th class 
you know and they have they have basically come up to as a as a reaction to the failure of public schooling so you go to villages of india you will see there are some public private schools they are typically very small run by two persons you know some person who's 10th pass 12th pass that constitutes majority of private schools in india and you know it is impossible to think that they could do a long term optimization where they are kind of you know saving up for for harder times and so on and so forth and in, and the ones which can do that are already doing it right but we have to realize that you know there is a severe uh, regulation which is not always you know, schools find creative ways to get around regulation and charge fees but there is a you know that it's very hard for government to tell schools that you know raise fees to save for any day because then the schools will say okay then you get rid of these caps that you have on fees and then once we go down that route then private schooling will become too expensive for a large part of india so regulation becomes a problem there yes i mean the regulation is regulation is in some sense motivated by you know uh, in some sense this idea that if private schooling is going to bridge this this failure of education uh, public education in india then it has to be of a particular it can't be too high if it's too high then it's it will be pointless right so you know it is hard to think about there are two sides of the problem right like any economic things you have done there's a firm and then there are consumers so think about the students as consumers and then there's a firm the firm raises prices it's going to service a smaller set of consumers but education is such an important good that if it services fewer number of consumers then it's not clear that that's welfare improving yes sir so the next question is with the new uh, education policy a lot of focus has been on coding for young children do you think that kids should be introduced to coding at such a young age and increase their screen time given that due to online classes they've already spent so much time looking at screen and also with this question another question that pops in mind is that do you think it is fair for uh, sites like byju's and whitehead junior to feed on the fear of children that they are they, they may not get with the technological era so i mean you know technology and coding this is the future of you know it is the future i mean so first ask yourself the following question right uh, byju's and you know whitehead they are firms right firms enter markets only if they feel that you know there will be a market for what they sell so we ask ourselves why is there a market for this right now there's a market for this because of two reasons one reason is that in some sense this is the reality of the future so you know what do what what are the jobs that people get in the labor market which are doing well they are many of them are it jobs and therefore you know the question should be actually the opposite the question should be that why did a byju's have to come up to get the market why didn't education systems by themselves respond to it right where they would be the ones providing this kind of you know training for a large number of children for the future right they are still stuck in you know in some of these pedagogies which are probably you know whether they're right or wrong we don't know because those are you know those pedagogies have come over many many years of experience but the fact is that the labor market is very different and and uh, you know i think it's an important skill to have for the labor market so let me let me say that the answer to this question is actually at what level so i feel that coding you know getting young children to code 
is you know at a serious way i mean doing some small games and stuff like that like scratch junior or some of these new things that have come up that's fine that's just to you know introduce children in a in a in a way of you know symbols to concepts it will probably help them in their maths too because it just kind of aids yeah. logical thinking right but i mean anything more than that that is not i mean as you said i mean children already have a lot of stress right now on online teaching and it will be too much in terms of older children i do feel that there is a big role for that i think that you know many i know many many uh, children uh, are going to enter the labor market and this is a skill that you know labor market wants so you know part of education has to respond to this so when you are young you can say that there are some basic you know things that you should learn on grammar you should learn you know sentence construction you should learn basic math these are like fundamentals on which you know you don't respond to market it's not a question of if tomorrow math is important or not i mean it you know you will have to just teach it anyway because it's so fundamental so there i think you know technology the you know, these byjus and so on and so forth they are just adding a little bit uh, you know there is some there is some feeling of some parents that okay you know uh, let's let's get them coded let's like get them to do something uh, but you have to also realize one interesting thing you know uh, one of the reasons why a lot of parents get children you know even send them to school is because parents don't have time right one of the one of the reasons why schooling has become so popular in many parts of the world is because when parents have to work the children have to be somewhere right so the childcare role you know of of schools and education is an important aspect in why children go to school so one of the things you can think of is where after children are done with their online classes which are typically 4 5 hours then there's this whole day right so one way to think about it is that well you know parents have worked they need children to do something so you know instead of playing or watching something on youtube you know or whatever pubg it's better for them to at least do something for some time but you know i agree with you that it should not be pushed at the senior level i think that children need to be introduced to coding much earlier it is it is a it is an important part of the labor market and i think that you know if they studied a little less of you know whatever they study which you know i don't know how much they use in their life it would be better to do something which is in some sense uh, you know targeted at the at the market sir while we talk about coding and technology are you in support of the fact that parents should censor the internet usage of children given that it's the young ones who are ultimately being introduced to the web that you know um i have mixed views about that of course at some level you are i mean what you're saying is undeniable but the but the you know the freedom to um you know to to understand the web in their own way is an important part of how children learn okay it's a bit like you know uh, do you leave a child outside to just wander around in the playground right many teachers would say you know he'll fall from the tree he will hurt himself you can do and yes you can think about many ways that children can can implode you know and can hurt themselves if they are left to do that but on the other hand that is an exploration that also makes many children inquisitive wanting to you know bond with nature or whatever you can whatever you can think of many ways in which this exploration is important similarly i would be you know while there is a certain level of parental and or school guidance required to search the web 
I don't think parents and children uh, and and teachers really know the web as much as they should. You know, they are also in some sense conditioned by their own world, you know, world and life experiences. They go to particular, you know, they have a particular way of looking at at the internet. Whereas children can look at the internet in very various different ways, can find innovative things that to learn. Uh, you know, um, many you you know, many, I know many children who learn a lot from just watching. You know what would be considered to be you know, the best of the ten best things of something, right? And typically, these are like you know this capsule kind of thing. I and mean, you can say, yeah, what is this? Is a very mechanical way to learn. But on the other hand, this is the way a lot of children are learning many things, right? With you might open an encyclopedia and learn, and they are just learning through opening some particular thing in YouTube and and watching it. So you know, medium is it responds. You know, medium different children respond different differently to medium and. and you know their search is an important part of their self discovery so i agree with you that there should be some bounds to that but i think those bounds not, you know need to be fairly loose i don't think there's any point in putting very hard bounds in fact i will tell you as an educationist i always think about myself when i was a student every time the teacher set a bound in 5 days we could or maybe even less we could figure out how to get around it right i mean this is this is all of us you are in that stage you also do that so in some sense it's really foolish to do that because you know children are in, nowadays are much more savvy and they are able to figure out how to get around things it is to be able to make them do it in a responsible manner with fairly broad bounds you know i think that this tight bounds of this you should not do and that you should not do is not going to work like in everything in you know in life pretty much with children Come to our third question. Today, everyone wants to stay updated with all the new things that are happening. Then, why shouldn't our books be updated as well? Our books are like old uncles talking about bygones, and this generation needs to learn from newer experiences. For example, every time we talk about an imminent policy change, all we have is the LPG policy from nineteen ninety one. But since then, a lot has happened. I mean, there has been the two thousand eight crisis, for say. Yeah, so uh, uncles are wise, so <laughs> let's not be too hard on them. Um, you know, the fact remains that you know uh, change. See, you have to think about this following. You know, uh, changing curriculum, okay, is a very very important thing in the sense that it's a task which requires a lot of people to agree, right? And typically, you know, this is a bit. Uh, you know, you maybe you you'd find it bureaucratic, but the idea is that because it's so fundamental and it'll be it'll be doled out to. It's almost like the vaccine, you know. It has to be like tested over time, you know. That what is to be said about two thousand eight crisis, right? What is it exactly that it's about, right? I mean, facts. All of you know. You don't have to read it in a book. I mean, that two thousand eight. The question is, what happened because of that? And then there has to be an agreement, which would be considered as to be. Uh, you know undisputable knowledge right about a particular thing so now of course you know when we go back in time uh, we have have had enough years to be able to understand and come to a consensus on whether something that was done what effect it had and whether it was good or bad or whatever right and then once it becomes that it becomes something which you could consider as quote unquote truth right which can be taught to many people as saying you know learn about this you know this is the truth right many 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 things that we that are more recent it's not very clear to most people 
you know, whether, you know, what it did. I mean, a lot of people say 2008 crisis had no impact on India. Some people say it had impacts on financial markets, but then financial markets are very loosely connected to the real economy in India, right? So, you know, who should, depending on who you talk to, you're going to get a different answer, right? And the question is, while these are, I always encourage students to look out and, you know, respond to these in debates and, and, and talk about them and, you know, when they have discussions in class, what comes in the curriculum in some sense requires a much more kind of consensus on what we know this about this particular policy, right? And that takes some time. The second thing I want to tell you is I'm going to state a policy, okay? This policy, let me see if you can, you can understand, you know, you can, you can figure out what it is. A policy that assures 100 days of work, right? At a prefixed wage to anyone who wants to work. Do you know what policy this is? Narega. Yeah, Narega, right? But this is actually a statement from 1965 and public works. Okay. So one of the problems is that, you know, when we look around ourselves, when we think about policy, we always think that we have got something new. Okay. But the, prop, the fact is that many policies we have seen before many times, right? And, and in fact, to be able to understand what, what Narega would do or what the economic crisis would do, if you knew very well about what happened in the past on very similar things, you would be able to analyze it very easily, right? Because in some sense, the basic structure of where, you know, what happens is pretty much everything else to some extent are you know bells and whistles. Of course, every era has era specific problems, but the crux of everything, you know, is is you know is pretty much the same. So if you were a macroeconomist, you would basically you know you would have time series for about a hundred years with business cycles, and you would see that the regularity with which things happen, right, over a hundred years, right. So things are it's not. You know, there are some fundamental things in the economy that keep moving and that drive economies in the long run, right? And to be able to understand that, you have to understand the past because, you know, they will repeat in the future. So I, I am I'm less, uh, you know, while I you know, empathize with your, you know, wanting to see new things. Believe me, when I was in Delhi University, I only study about 1950s and 1960s. And I completely understand your frustration about, you know, not being able to learn something new. But I think one way, one, you know, one way this can be, old things can be made relevant. And I think that's also a matter of how this material is taught, is to connect some of these older things to what is happening now. Okay. And once you do that, you will realize immediately that, okay, you know, here's, you know, here's how to analyze so let me give you one, one, one last example on this. Is private education a solution to India's problems? To be able to understand this, you can go to colonial times. If you go to colonial times, you'll realize something very interesting, that a large part of education, in fact, primary education in many you know, big provinces of India, like Bengal, uh, like, uh, in fact, Madras, were in fact, private school driven. In fact, in Bengal, I would not Madras, but Bengal, which now is like Bihar, Odisha, you know, West Bengal and many parts. In fact, private education was the education that drove public, you know, primary education. And then if you look at what happened then, you would see that the quality of education, the accessibility were all driven by things like what are economics called ethno-fractionalization, which is, you know, caste fractionalizations, religious fractionalizations. So villages which were very fractionalized in terms of so very small groups. We're all fighting against each other for, for privilege. 
you would see that these are places where private schooling did very bad right and now if you were to think today what would happen because of you know if you leave private school and let private school be the solution to all india's problems in rural areas it's the exact same thing will happen in fact there is already evidence that this is what is happening that societies which are more homogenous you know less caste you know separated you know there are societies within even india villages which are doing well in terms of private education you know where there are many groups factions in terms of caste religion their private schooling is not doing well right but this you know why would you be surprised this is exactly what happened 100 years back so it's to connect you know so you can look at history as history or you can say well what do we learn from history that is relevant today and that in that sense i think you know one can you know one can even do with what one has right now if you are able to even understand everything that has been happened till 1991 you would be able to in fact say a lot about what is happening today right so again i i i take your point that maybe you know some of the books should be moving slightly faster but but i also take it that there is a lot of potential already uh, if you understood whatever was there in 1991 right so it's a, it's a matter of how you are you know you can you can look at the material you can always look at the material and say how is it relevant today you know what are the basic things here that are the same as today and you will find that there are many many common things so following from your point should our classes be divided into two sections when the last 20 minutes we try to connect the past with the present yeah so you know when i teach i always i don't talk about it in the last 20 minutes in fact i start talking about it and then describe what happened before you know in terms in trying to understand what is current but let me you know let me just have a do a push back on that you know in the sense that you know what is the purpose of of being educated you know doing your bachelors and masters and so on and so forth right one way is to equip you with the way to think okay uh, issues will keep changing all the time you know so what is happening today is not going to be you know it's going to be you know when i was in graduate you know in in uh, in undergraduate liberalization was the biggest thing when now you are there you are thinking about 2008 issues will keep changing all the time the idea that education has is to be able to make you think about how what are the tools you need to think about these problems okay and that once you get those tools you are able to think about a wide variety of problems so one problem of focusing education too much about the current issues is that while you may you may debate about it and understand it and talk about it you know your knowledge in some sense is very contextual to those issues right you will have an opinion your teacher will say something you will learn couple of more things and you you can kind of go to and fro you get another issue yes you have understood some way of arguing you've learned something from your previous but you really don't have the tools to do it because you know tools were not taught to you uh, you know when you were thinking about it so i think where education many of the syllabus uh, you know material focuses on is to give you tools right to be able to say that here you know we are going to give you a way of thinking now once you learn the way to think you can basically think about any problem in a in a logical manner okay do not underestimate that i mean because you know the problem is and especially in today's society is that you know we are getting information from various places right and some of them are real some of them are not real you know we we get you know very so let me give you an example okay a very very put so newspapers carried a description that the new covid vaccine the astrazeneca vaccine right was 70% effective 
Okay, so they had two doses. One dose was one and a half, and it was ninety percent effective. And there was a two dose thing, which was sixty-two percent effective, right? And the company came out saying seventy percent effective, right? Now, though, okay. So how should I react to this? You can say, "What is the reaction?" Okay, either bol dia, bol dia. They have said it. But if you learned enough statistics, you would know that you know if you have two different treatments, right? You have an apple, which is two, you know, which is two doses, and you have an orange, which is one and a half doses. and then you get effects of the apple and the orange then you cannot talk about an average effect because the average effect is not the average orange and the average apple right you can't you can't give people half or one and a half and two right so 70% has no meaning so it's a, it's an incorrect statement right and if you saw if you if you go through all newspapers you will see that almost everyone talked about it Like seventy percent, seventy percent, and then they talked about you know what you know what AstraZeneca was saying. But if you read the New York Times or the Guardian, where there were people who had had better training to understand about this, you would see that they their reaction to this was well, this is an incorrect statement. So what are they trying to hide? And now they have found out that well, what they were trying to hide was in fact that you know the trial with one and a half dosage was actually an accidental trial. It was not even meant to be a trial, right? So. now how you you know what would this require this wouldn't require you to know about vaccines this would require or you know the capitalism and how capitalism you know astrazeneca is a capitalist firm and so on and so forth what it would require to know is some basic statistics right and you might feel ki all oh, these teachers go on and on about statistics what is there in a mean median mode there is that but you know life is a lot about understanding these concepts if you were to understand them you could analyze many things in life and actually make in, informed decisions about them right and that is in some sense where i think many of your courses that you do focus on you know micro math stats you know they try, i mean our, many a times our engagement with them is different because of course all of us have to pass exams i have passed exams too i know right but the attempt by by uh, you know by teachers is to basically teach you something that is more fundamental right of course there is a trade off between being fundamental and being boring and that's a fine one uh, you know and i and i take your point that you know i have slept through many classes of my own in undergrad so they they can be boring but i mean it does not have to be it's it's uh, it that is nothing wrong in the content it's it's how you represent the content which may be at fault sir do you think education system is all about getting a job we saw a lot of people losing on jobs during the covid-19 scenario and also there was a large fall in recruitments especially for college undergraduates what do you think is the reasons for that and what effects will it have on the labor market of college graduates do you know what's the largest higher of college graduates in india what what sector industry is the highest higher of college graduates in india it's education most people in india get educated in colleges to be teachers okay so when wow. so the answer to this question is that you know mar in india there is no one india markets are very segmented now you might you might ask yourself how many of my friends will end up being teachers very few you know i i also went to delhi university very few of my 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 friends are teachers but india is not just you 
India is a much, much bigger place with various different segmentations of markets. So in India, outside the cities, the biggest job for college graduates is in fact, you know, education per se, and then it's in some sense administration. You know, you can think of many of these clerical government jobs to be yes. some of the jobs that people aspire to after college degrees. Okay, so now to answer your question, so your question is actually about, in fact, a very small slice of the Indian labor market, which is that, you know, if you graduate from Delhi University, will the number of jobs come down? Is it is what is happening this year? Well, my feeling is yes, it is. But I think that that has got to do with the fact that there are particular sectors that hire, which are not doing well. And uh, you know some of these some of the sectoral some of the growth of the sectors are temporary. I mean the the slowing down, and so when they pick up next year, the year after again, you will see that you know you will again have a big spurt of of uh, uh, you know of growth in employment for you guys. Uh, there may be some jobs which uh, you know which people who hired you in some sectors which will not do well. Uh, hospitality probably is one of them and many 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 economists for example join firms that, that have to do with hospitality uh, you know they will probably come back much slower but you know the world is very dynamic you know if not this something else will come up okay so i don't fear so much it may be that you know for a few years you will be uh, you will be struggling but you know it will be probably a year maximum you know that you will not have the best job that you know you wanted in terms of unemployment which is uh, one of the bigger things that is happening in india and that is not to do with the covid that is actually you know a trend uh, over the last 10 years this is typically not employment unemployment of delhi university graduates you know this is the tier below that okay so again a second segment of the indian market okay now these rely on particular jobs that have over the last 10, 15 years slowed down, right? Think about, many, for example, many private colleges giving IT education. IT education is not in demand in the way it was 10, 15 years back, okay? So, but that has happened because it's a derived demand. It's a demand from the US market. And if you look at the US market, you will see that last 20 years, the number of routine jobs done by human beings is falling. So like coding jobs are falling now over the last 10 years in the US. It's because, yeah. you know, machines can do many of these codings themselves. You don't require a human to do many of the standard coding, right? And then there's a derived demand. So how many people are getting hired because of that? And, you know, these people are losing their job. or And so you are seeing some unemployment. But, you know, the sector that is going to really affect college employment, if you talk about India as a macro economy, would be if the government stops you know, hiring, government is a big hire of college graduates. If the education sector slows down, it's and it stops hiring people and it's been happening because, you know, because of various problems in public education, the number of jobs of teachers are falling. Uh, you know, government is unwilling to hire more teachers because there's a public perception that teachers are not working enough. So, uh, and you know, pub, and, and a public, you know, school teacher job is one of the most coveted jobs by college graduates outside metro cities because it pays you more than the next available job okay so it's a, again you know it's like a, you have to answer these questions in 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 segments 
So yes, you guys will face a temporary kind of thing, but it's temporary because you guys have skills. The you know you will you some other sector will pick you up. You will have uncertainty for sure. The sector below, which is more structural, which is about these IT jobs, they will have to do something else. Uh, that is the big challenge in front of India now. We wrote the IT boom. We don't know when the next boom will come to be able to employ that segment of people. And then there is a last segment, which is probably thirty forty percent of the bottom, you know, of of smaller parts of India, and and they are college educated too. and they are they are relying on the government and and school and education jobs and if those slow down then they will suffer that's got less to do with uh, you know less to do with the current macroeconomic crisis sir so, so education remains a sector where we can be sure of jobs being created even in the next 10 years or 20 years sir what other sectors do you think will have the potential to create jobs health in the coming years health for sure health so you know the so far indian health sector has been largely about doctors and nurses okay india has yeah. has a very good nursing staff uh, you know uh, training schools for many many years you know india produces some of the you know good nurses in the world but it's very very concentrated it's largely to the southern part of india you know uh, there are many many from kerala for example Uh, doctors, th- there are regulations d- due to which the doctors number of doctors in India is regulated, you know, by the Medical Council of India, and that's largely because of the number of colleges that are regulated. Uh, yes. But health sector is going to be a bigger sector, you know. Uh, you see, this current pandemic is going, to, and and that's my hope, and I, I think a lot of people do agree to that. That there is now a growing realization that we are very ill-equipped. uh in terms of health now this has always been said for a long time because we know we spend very little less than even half a percent of gdp on 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 health but people are realizing that this is now you know an important sector and you know we have suffered so much because we don't have enough infrastructure so many people i feel will get jobs and they may be ancillary jobs they may be secretarial jobs for hospitals they may be you know uh, management jobs to manage hospitals uh so you can see many of the recent mbas are offering uh, mbas in health management itself so this yes. is an upcoming sector which will see a big boost uh, moving forward coming to our last question in his independence day speech prime minister narendra modi announced plans to raise the legal age for women to 21 according to a recent sbi report this could increase the number of women graduates by 7% over and above the 9.8% right now what major economic and social benefits do you think this will bring to our country so again let me ask answer this question in two parts let me first you know just for argument sake agree to sbi right sbi's uh, assertion that this will increase uh, you know college graduates from 7 to 9% percent, 9 plus something so that is definitely i mean one of the biggest uh, contributors uh, to human capital of gener human capital is education knowledge everything put together of future generations is in fact you know one of the strongest predictors in in almost every country of the world and over time is the education level of the mother okay so you know even if we are to even if we are to accept that and, and why i mentioned this is that you know labor force participation among women in india is very low right 
Now, if you if it was very high, then I would say, well, of course, we will get more graduates, you know, women graduates, and they will work, and we will get productivity out of them. It's a no-brainer. But unfortunately, as it turns out, in India, labor force participation of women is abysmally low. And uh, you know, while it is higher for college graduates, it's not really that high. So then you can ask, well, then you know, what do we gain out of it? And what we gain out of it is that you know, women uh, ultimately are one of the strongest predictors of future generations. Okay, and now you know, it, it sounds a bit sexist to say that you know, women should be educated because they will be great mothers in teaching their children because it sounds as if that is their role and that is not my intention at all in fact we are in many ways in development policies trying to break that and get more and more women to come and join the labor force uh, or you know to give respect to the job but in some sense the 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 fact remains that a lot of women are not and the other fact remains that even if women are not they are highly contribute they are contributing highly to the economy because they are part of the dynamic process of human capital accumulation, right? So just getting women from seven to nine percent is going to have enormous not only current benefits, but future dynamic benefits to the economy. Okay. So one of the best ways to ensure that you are in a, on a virtuous path of you know education in in a in a country is to educate the women of the country, right? This has been true almost everywhere in the world and, and in India too. But I, I want to come back to this SBI uh, kind of number. You know, I'm not so sure that this number is actually well-founded for two reasons. The first reason is that if you actually looked at data and uh, you looked at women's responses to the question whether you know, marriage comes in the way of their optimal education. So many women in their, you know, in their, in, as a part of the national sample survey they, you know, of women, uh, ask them if their human capital decision, which is the amount of they studied, uh, one of the whether the barrier or the maximum that they have studied is because they had to get married, and very few women actually say that you know in some sense that that's the reason why you know that they did not study uh, because they had to get married or something like that. Huh? So you know moving ages and stuff does not have as much of a bite as we think. Secondly. I mean, what legal restrictions have very low bite in India? India has such a kind of imaginative social structure that almost every state of India has found, uh, you know, households have found some way of, you know, obeying the law and not the spirit. Okay, some uh, some way of, you know, like marriage acts, right? Marriage marriageable ages. I mean, you know, you if, I don't know if you know of the institution of Ghana where women are basically just given away right away at a very low age, except that they have to, you know, they can only go to the house of the husband after they, they reach the legal age, right? That doesn't typically help that much, but, you know, it is, a, it, they, so they respect the, the rule, but in spirit, it's no different from what it was before. But again, you know, I don't think that anyone has found that this is the main, uh, you know, the main uh, uh, constraint that comes in the way of women's education. But, you know, where one should take uh, you know, our prime minister's, uh, you know, uh, particular policy is that I think it's the right noise. I think, you know, many a times leaders have to make the right kind of noises. This is a noise that says we care about women's education, right? And, you know, that sends a signal to various bureaucrats and authorities that, 
you know there is a prime minister who is very serious about you know empowerment of women getting them educated and so on and so forth and and in in doing that it may mobilize many people in doing very pro uh, pro women policies implementing some things better and you know and don't underestimate the importance of that so do you think that a major reason for you know uh, women getting married at early ages is the you know parental pressure that like what will you do sitting at home you should get married only so increasing this age to 21 will actually you know let them actually go to college because i, I mean you uh, pass class 12 at age 18 so now what will you do sitting at home go to college only but this 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 is where i'm i'm challenging you this is not this is not what the data shows us you know this is a this is the image of india that we have got from watching some you know god for second hindi movies about whatever i mean i urge all of you to go and you know download free data sets from the national that's why i said you know sometimes to understand issues you need training in tools go and look up these these data sets yourself you know see what women they say themselves you know very small proportion of women do say that marriage is coming in the way of their optimal human capital choice right so it's not true uh, you know it's not true for most women of india that marriage is in some ways comes in the way of uh, you know their human capital accumulation the you know one of the biggest puzzles in india in fact is why uh, parents educate daughters in the first place because you know if women are not you know are, are are not expected to hit the labor market which is true as i said you know indian labor force participation is very low for women then the question is yes education is for for jobs but women don't work then why are parents spending money educating their daughters and we are not talking here about delhi university graduates you know this is that's a very elite section of indian society we are talking here about most of india and and one of the reasons people say is that well women get women are educated because the way parents think is that it increases their chance in the marriage market right and in fact you can do that you know if you if you take your favorite machine learning tool and just do prediction right what is the one factor that predicts you know uh, you know uh, a good match okay which is like a, a high caste upper caste uh, you know whatever these are things in the marriage market that seem to matter high income uh, educated groom the biggest predictor for that is the education level of the daughter okay so i mean now you think about it this way why would a parent you know marry a daughter before she finishes university no because she is in the university in the first place so that she can go when she when you advertise you know or you introduce your you know various people to your daughter you can say my daughter is you know ma pass or ba pass right that is what is going to get you a good groom right and so you know if you think like that you will see that there is no reason for indian parents to 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 pull their daughters out before because you know that wouldn't make sense because that's the reason why you know women are being educated in the first place right so so it's interesting i mean you know it's it's in some sense you know thinking like an economist makes it sound like it's like a rational decision but it's true that paper after research paper after research paper in fact when trying to find out why parents educate daughters are finding that it's the marriage market and in the marriage market you need a, a level of education to get a good you know good groom 
and why do you need a good groom we need a good groom because the only time parents need money from or some kind of so what is that you want something good for your daughter and it's nice when your daughter marries someone who's you know who's rich and who can basically fund you know any shocks to the family but also because you know if something happens to you you can only rely on your daughter if your daughter actually belongs to a household which can actually has money to give you right so while you know this is a completely different route to this idea that you know daughters are getting educated then getting jobs and women in india don't get jobs and in fact one another puzzle in india is the labor force participation of women is not only low but it is falling over time okay women are, as women are getting more and more educated lesser and lesser proportion of women right proportion not number because of course population of women is growing so numbers are growing but as a proportion of population you know number of women working is falling and you will see that you know i don't know if you guys have been introduced to this but in development economics which is a big field in economics uh, this is one of the biggest puzzles you know why labor force participation of women is falling when the age of marriage is rising the education of women is rising right and then the other question is then you know if 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 the woman is not going to work then why are the parents spending money on and now then you know people find that look it's to get a good groom right and 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 that's the way it works i mean whether we like it or not that's the way the market works and uh, and, and and so to go back to your question it's not immediately clear if you think in that structure that women will be just pulled out of college you know to sit at home and it's not that women are sitting women are sitting at home they're not going to get a groom you know they're not going to be able to find a good groom so then why would parents do that right so sometimes we get all these things from for reasons that we don't think right because they in some sense are at a very fundamental level it's 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 a little uneasy thinking like this right but that's how it is i mean that's how you know that's what research shows uh, you know uh, about women in india and their education and their labor market and their marriages so so for our listeners can we reach to the conclusion that uh, this increasing of minimum age requirement to 21 serves as a symbol of women empowerment and the households yes, in indeed. rural areas who would have earlier got their daughters married off at the age of 15 would still do the same because of the uh, social arrangement that prevails in those areas completely completely it's a strong symbol it's a it's a symbol that you know that the government cares about this topic right and uh, i would also add that it will not stop women from 15 to do social arrangements but in any ways the the trend is towards increasing age of marriage in india anyway so this might be a non binding constraint to begin with 